Come, let us join our hearts and we shall pray to God for hope. For many are the dreams that die, the of the Come, let us join our spirits and we shall pray to God for compassion. Come, let us join our wills, and we shall pray to God for peace. Come, let us join our hearts, and we shall pray to God for love. Make us one, God that many might be the ties that bind, the wounds that mend, the backs that heal, and the dreams that come to pass. Hatred and bitterness can never cure the disease of fear. Only love can do that. Hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person now that I was free. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold over the trees and over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. Let individuals make the most of what God has given them. Have their neighbors do the same, and then do all they can to serve each other. There is no use in one man or one nation to try to do or be everything. It is one good thing to be dependent on each other for something. It makes a silver and peace. When I speak of love, I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. We are confronted primarily with the moral issue, whether all Americans are to be afforded equal rights and equal opportunities, whether we are going to treat our fellow Americans as we want to be treated. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them. Neither persons nor property will be safe. The right of every American to first-class citizenship is the most important issue of our time. Segregation is not only politically, economically, and sociologically unsound, but it is morally wrong and sinful. Paul Tillich has said that sin is separation. Isn't segregation an existential expression of man's tragic separation, an expression of his awful estrangement, his terrible sinfulness? The strongest bond of human sympathy outside of the family relation should be one uniting all working people 
of all nations and tongues and kindred. We are simply seeking to bring into full realization the American dream, a dream yet unfulfilled, a dream of equality and opportunity, of privilege and property widely distributed, a dream of a land where man no longer argue what the color of a man's skin determines, the content of his character, the dream of a land where every man will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. This is the dream. When it is realized, the jangling discords of our nation will be transformed into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood, and man everywhere will know that America is truly the land of free and home of the brave. Thank you. The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it too will come to an end. Here ends the lesson. After that wonderful performance by Ms. Pryor, it's kind of all downhill from here, so I apologize. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We're good. <laughs> um, also, just a little warning, I do wear my heart on my sleeve, so if I get emotional, I apologize in advance. So in January, as a nation, we honor the life, the work, and the sacrifice of civil rights leader Martin Luther King, Jr. In many ways... He forced the U.S. to look at itself, to acknowledge its imperfections, and to begin to travel down the hard road of repentance and reconciliation for the evils inflicted upon men and women of African descent. He dared Americans of all persuasions to share in his dream that all of our children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We've come a long way since that speech before the, the Lincoln Memorial in 1963. The question is, has the dream been achieved? To answer that question, let me ask all of you a question. Are you sitting in the pews wondering why this white boy is standing at the pulpit talking to you about Martin Luther King Jr.? Because if you are, well, you might be a redneck. Um, you are not alone. Um, that was kind of my initial reaction when Pastor Melissa asked me to speak on this topic. I question my own right to share my views of Martin Luther King, uh, fearful of offending some because of, who, you know, of the color of my own skin. I guess I'm not quite living the dream yet, but I think Pastor Melissa is a little closer than I am. Um, now, um, Pastor Melissa did not just randomly select me from the faculty directory, at least I hope that's not how they pick people to speak. Um, last January, we both went on the winter service trip and shared a wonderful week of service in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama with, with uh, several students. As the resident historian in the group, I was asked to discuss the history of the civil rights movement prior to our visit to Birmingham, uh, where we went to the Birmingham Civil Rights Museum. Um, kind of begs the question, I guess they didn't 
read my specialization in Japanese history, but that's okay. Um, in preparation for this discussion, I read Martin Luther King's 1963 letter from Birmingham Jail. And uh, I shared some of my thoughts and feelings on it. Uh, his letter resonated with me. since it reminded me of a letter composed by another man of God in similar circumstances. Uh, these letters written by these two men were meaningful to me because I realized that despite their experience of persecution and incarceration, both of these men chose to turn to Christ. Instead of becoming bitter, they were inspired to, to continue to hope and work for a better future. As some of you know, I was born and raised in Utah as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That man of God I refer to was Joseph Smith. And like uh, Martin Luther King, he was arrested and imprisoned. Um, Martin Luther King was in jail for a week, but he was, uh, Martin, uh, Joseph Smith was in jail for five months. Like Martin Luther King, his people were being persecuted. During the winter of 1838 to 1839, while Joseph was in Liberty Jail, ironically named, wouldn't you say, um, in Missouri. 10,000 Mormons were driven out of Missouri from their homes and their property by local mobs and state militia under the authority of an executive order issued by Governor Lilburn Boggs. Like Martin Luther King, Joseph Smith, despite his own circumstances, sought to encourage his supporters in the face of public pressure to give up their cause. I'm not trying to equate the racial, racial prejudices and discrimination faced by African Americans for over 300 years in this country to what Mormons experienced at the time, but my religious heritage does help me to empathize more with Martin Luther King's cause. His struggles and his dream became more vivid to me through the parallels that I saw. Parallels that reveal how trials and obstacles, overwhelming at times, can be overcome through faith, hope, and most of all, charity or love. In the face of adversity brought upon them by their fellow men, Martin Luther King and Joseph Smith turned away from hate and sought to apply the principles found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians as read by Pastor Melissa. I think that this is the most important legacy of the injustices that have been perpetrated in our country. How inspired men and women throughout our history responded in a positive way to bring about change. They were not perfect. But their words and deeds have moved us closer to realizing the words of Thomas Jefferson, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In our own self-centeredness, however, we often forget that those words apply more than just our, to just ourselves. From jail, Martin Luther King wrote, Injustice is anywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all indirectly. Regardless of the prejudice, we are all lessened. We are all demeaned by its existence in our society. And ultimately, our own rights may even be threatened by it if we do nothing. It has happened before. Uh, reflecting on his experience under Nazism in Germany, Pastor Martin Niemöller has stated, first they came for the communists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. 
Then they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. When is the right time to speak out? Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail was addressed to a sympathetic white clergy who asked Martin Luther King to wait to organize nonviolent protests until a better time in order to avoid a confrontation. His frustration is apparent, but his response revealed his faith in a gospel of action, not one of theological pontification. He wrote, We have waited. We've waited for more than 340 years for our God-given constitutional rights. I guess it is easy for those who have never... Sorry. I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. Progress only comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God, and without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. So if we do nothing now, nothing will be done, and nothing will change. If we do not stand for what is right, doing what God has commanded us to do, to love God and to love our neighbors ourselves, how can we expect God to bless us and prosper us as a society? Joseph Smith also advocated after four months in jail that we must cheerfully do all things that layeth in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God. Both men understood that change does not happen on its own and will not happen until we work for it through positive means, with a positive attitude. Martin Luther King's program of nonviolent protest in the face of water cannons, firebombs, lynchings, and beatings did more to sway popular opinion and bring about change than anything else, in my opinion. It is clear to me as individuals, as a community, and as a nation, we have much room for improvement. We have yet to set aside the superficial things that separate us. We do not yet see one another or ourselves as God sees us, as children of a loving God who wants to give us all that he has. We are not ready to be satisfied, in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., to being an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist in love? The life of Jesus Christ provides us with a template. He forgave the adulteress. He administered to the poor, to the handicapped, to the sinner. He even forgave those who tortured and hung him on the cross. I pray that we may strive harder to cultivate our love for our fellow men and women, to love one another as Christ loves us. We must realize, as Joseph Smith also taught, that love begets love. Let us pour forth love. Show forth our kindness unto all mankind. And the Lord, the Lord will reward us with everlasting increase. Cast our bread upon the waters, and we shall receive it in many days, after many days, increase to a hundredfold. Friendship is like Brother Turley in the blacksmith shop. Welding iron to iron, it unites the human family with its happy influence. I do not dwell upon your faults, and you shall not dwell upon mine. Charity, which is love, covereth a multitude of sins. May we learn to love one another enough to overlook each other's shortcomings so that in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men, white men, 
Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Thank you.